0: I, I have a, a, a double challenge following uh, after such a heartwarming and inspiring you know, testimony and also delicious food is awaiting outside. I try my best to preach the, the, what forest people call the best sermon. That is a show sermon. So it's uh, 2 o'clock. So I'll try. So let's go. Thank you, Hugh, Deanna, Julie, Alex, Hejin, and Joshua for your baptismal testimony and commitment. You doubled our thanksgiving joy today. As I praise God for leading your, our brothers and sisters to baptism today, I want to point out an important biblical theme and promise related to baptism. Baptism, the first step to follow Christ as a one saving the Lord, entails God's promise of freedom. Jesus told us in John 8.32, you shall know the truth. By the way, by truth, Jesus is talking about himself. Because later Jesus said, I am the truth and life and way. You shall know the truth and truth shall make you free. Following Jesus means experiencing freedom of God. Apostle Paul also spoke about connection between baptism and freedom in Corinthian, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They are all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. When Paul's ancestors, Israelites, were leaving Egypt and were pursued by Pharaoh and his army of a chariot, they were saved supernaturally by God's parting of the Red Sea. Apostle Paul compared this famous Exodus event to baptism. They were all baptized into Moses. Here Paul was accoupling the first and most famous Saving story of Old Testament with a baptism and freedom. Exodus means freedom. As God freed the Israelite from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, God frees anyone who desires from the bondage of sin and death through the death and burial and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. With that, let's read our text today, Exodus chapter 20 verse 1 to 6. As God spoke all this word, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for sin of the parents to third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to the thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commitment, my commandment. Flowers fall, but the words of God last forever. After saving Israelites from Egyptian bondage, God gave them Law of Liberty, commonly known, Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, or decalogue, is all about enjoying, exercising, and establishing divine gift of freedom and peace in God's way. So today I want to share with you the three fundamentals of freedom from the Law of Liberty, especially First Two Commandments. First of all, let's check out the context of today's story. Where and when did God give them His law of liberty? Look at the Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, they came to the desert Sinai. After they set out from Raphidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel, camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. God gave them the law of liberty at Mount Sinai. Why? What's the significance of Mount Sinai? If you look at the map that shows Israel's uh, Exodus journey, you can see the shortest route to Canaan from Egypt was uh, right by the Mediterranean coastline. It was called the Philistine Way, which was a well-known ancient trade route that most people traveled between Egypt and Canaan. It was an easy, well-traveled shortcut with many rest stops and restaurants like uh, Starbucks, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, and Bucky's. In contrast, the actual route that God led Israelite was a detour and difficult way, with nothing but a desert and wilderness. And according to the Bible, it took 45 days from Koshen, where Israelites used to live in Egypt, to all the way to Sinai in the distance of 440 miles. It was a clearly detoured route. God took it not because God didn't have a GPS or navigation system like we, but God was intentionally training Israelites because he wanted to cultivate the true permanent freedom in Israel. Here we must recognize that not all freedoms are good and desirable. Some freedoms are actually dangerous and anxious. Once on my commute years ago, I saw a loose dog on Loop 12. It has a leash on its neck, so it was not a street dog. But it was loose on the four-lane highway, and everyone was swerving and slowing down to avoid hitting the dog, and the dog was in panic and frantic, barking and jerking. I bet when the dog freed itself, it must like its initial freedom, and it ran out with joy. But what I saw on the freeway was not a freedom, but anxiety and fear. Soren Kierkegaard defined the anxiety to be dizziness of a freedom. Anxiety is a dizziness of a freedom. When our freedom is not cultivated in the way that God intended, our freedom contradictorily creates confusion and anxiety. So note this very carefully. Freedom does not mean simply doing whatever I want. Such a wanton freedom is actually chaos and will bring nothing but waste and regrets at the end. God freed the Israelite from the slavery of Egypt today, but that was not the end of freedom. It was only the beginning. God wants to give them a true, permanent, meaningful freedom. So what is a true freedom? It is a freedom not based on circumstances, but based on relationship true meaningful freedom is a more than external and circumstantial but rather internal inner and relational that's what god said today first in exodus chapter 20 before he gave 10 commandments. i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt out of a land of slavery this is a god's preamble or preface to 10 commandments here we can see the law of God was based on his grace and the freedom is founded on relationship with God you know two things we notice in this preamble first God said I am the Lord your God you know interestingly God used the second person plural when you say you I'm your God God didn't say I'm not you know, God didn't say yo as we say but every single one of you, I'm your God. It indicates that God has a personal relationship with each and every one of his people. And second, this personal relationship is also a saving relationship. As God continued to say, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a house of slavery. Twice, God said, I brought you out of a troubled place and the suffering place called Egypt. God was reminding Israelite that he was not only their, their Lord and God, but ultimately their Redeemer. So it was on this basis he laid down his law for their lives. So therefore, it is Israel's unique privilege to receive law of liberty straight from God. So saving grace, caring relationship, that's the foundation of a freedom and the law of liberty. So, I want us to be understand this very clearly. Freedom is not the end in and of itself. Freedom has an aim. The aim is a love and good relationship. Freedom without a relationship is not only dangerous, but also destructive. Isn't that why we struggle so much in our country with the pandemic? Because many Americans, some Americans misunderstand the freedom so individualistically without caring for the people. Ten Commandments is all about the relationship. First first four commandments to save time. And, uh, you know, yeah. I'm not gonna go through the whole Ten Commandments. The first four commandments is about the vertical relationship with God. And the next six commandment is a horizontal relationship with our neighbors. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So to be happy, humans must have loving relationship with God and with the neighbors. And for that, we need a freedom. And the person who explained this, this is, Biblical meaning of freedom better than anyone is a my hero, Swiss-German theologian named Karl Barth, and he wrote a very short book, incredibly rich book called The Humanity of God. There, Barth said this, God's freedom is not naked sovereignty or bare omnipotence, but relational freedom, relational freedom, Freedom in which God in covenantal grace gave and gives himself to humanity to be humanity's God. God's freedom is not freedom from, but freedom for. Did you hear? True freedom is not freedom from the bad stuff and oppressing. It's much more freedom for good things, love, and care. God is free to determine His own being to be God for us in and through Jesus Christ. God's freedom was and expressed in the gospel. Although surely God's vision and purpose includes all His creatures, God's particular interest, concerns His human creature, indicated in His becoming human in His Son. You know, starting next week, we are celebrating Advent, coming of Christ, Christ. When he came to this world, he didn't just become a human temporarily. He took the human nature into himself. And eternally, there's a humanity in God. That's what Karl Barth talking about humanity of God. Our God, out of his transcendent freedom, decided to be God for humans. And he became one. And today, we witness. He even identified with the sinners and died in their place and then rose again. Hallelujah. That's what the biblical freedom is. It's based on relationship. It's based on love and care. Now let's look at the first two foundational uh, commandments, which tells us the second fundamental of freedom, which is commit yourself to God totally. Totally is the key. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on earth beneath or water below. You shall not bow down them, bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. In order to understand this first commandment, uh, we need to know the context. The Israelites just came out of Egypt where they lived in the one of the most polytheistic cultures ever. You know, polytheism, simply worship of many gods, and in that Egyptians were unsurpassed. They worship the gods of fields and rivers and light and darkness and sun and storm. They bowed down to worship idols in the form of a man and a beast. For instance, God Horus, God sky, the God of sky, had a head of a falcon, God of death Anus, has a head of a jackal, and so on. So to Israelite, the recently liberated former slaves of Egypt, God told them, you shall not have no God before me. This is a call for radical monotheism. I don't have enough time to describe how rare and unpopular this notion of a monotheism was in the ancient world where the most people, almost everyone was a polytheist, that's why I added the adjective uh, radical to the monotheism. The first commandment, this first commandment later became a, the famous Jewish dogma called the Shema Israel in Deuteronomy 6:4, Here Israel, Lord our God is one. And do you know many faithful Jewish believers? they were killed in history for that confession of a faith. Now, if God is the only God, then why does he speak of other gods as if they have a real existence? The Bible insists that there is only one God, that every other deity is a basically fraud. It is a you know, human imagination and human invention. That's why actually Karl Barth says God hates religion, because that's how humans manipulate the ultimate truth, and the spiritual reality. God said very clearly through prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 45 that there is no other God beside me, a righteous and a Savior. A righteous God and Savior, there is a none beside me. So the first commandment has to do to worshiping the right God, the only God. We must reject every false God in order to worship the true God. The second commandment has to do with worshiping the right God in the right way. We must now worship God in the form of any man-made idol. Whereas the first commandment forbids us to worship the false God, second commandment forbids us to worship the true God falsely. The second commandment is also very long. You shall not make, verse 4, for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or oh, that is uh, earth beneath, that is the water under the, under the earth. Here, God refused to be worshipped by means of uh, images. This shows that God is a spirit. He does not have a physical form. The mentions of uh, heaven and earth also shows that God is a creator. One problem with the idols is that people confuse a creator with a creation. His a creation. And then nothing in the sky, nothing on the ground, nothing in the sea, that pretty much covers everything. In other words, Israelites were not allowed to represent God in form of anything in all creation. Now, why does God reject and hate the visual representation of our physical images? Listen to me carefully. It is because Physical images keeps us from hearing God's voice. Hearing it, physical images keeps us from, from hearing God's voice. This is why God did not reveal himself in physical form on Mount Sinai. You know, Moses later said to Israelite in Deuteronomy 4.15, said that since you saw no form on the day, the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, is another name for Mount Sinai, out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself. The way that God revealed himself at Mount Sinai was not through visible image, but through audible word. This tells us something about the way that God wants to be worshipped. He, he does not want us to look at him But listen to him. Okay. Neil Postman, a Jewish American uh, writer and uh, uh, cultural critic, uh, in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, he said this important notion about the uh, uh, God of the Bible. The God of the Jews was to exist in the world, through the world, an unprecedented conception requiring highest order of abstract thinking. God wants us to hear Him, listen to Him with our mind open and our heart also soft. And when we try to do that, when we ask God to speak to us, He does. Now, the most critical and controversial statement of God in this passage comes from verse 5. God said, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You know, later in Exodus 34, 14, God even said, Father, do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is a jealous, is a jealous God. God said his name is a jealous. How do you like that? What does it mean that God is a jealous God? You know, one uh, a biblical uh, a commentator named Philip Rikens, he kind of uh, summarized well, God feels the same way about his people. His commitment to us is a total. His love is exclusive, passionate, intense, in other words, jealous. Godly jealous is not an insecure, insane, possessive human jealousy that we often interpret the word to mean. Rather, it is an intensely caring devotion to the object of his love, like a mother's jealous protection of her children, A father's jealous guarding of his home. You know, when God said, I'm jealous, you know, he's implying, I'm married to you. You are my bride. No one is more important than you. God who is not jealous is actually problematic. It's like a husband doesn't care whether his wife is uh, faithful or not. If I see some of our married sisters talking, very nice-looking, good-looking, strange men in the Starbucks, I just say, huh? Must be brother, sister, brother or co I'll just pass. But if, the, if I see that with my wife, Jamie, it'll be a different story. You know, thank God we don't have any member named uh, 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 Russell or Jason these are the names of uh, her old friends. You know, when, so when I met somebody named uh, Russell and Jason in the middle age, you know, and then I asked, uh, where are you from? Are you? Did you live in New York? You know? Just, I just, you know, why, why do I feel this funny way? Because of love. If you love your husband and wife, and you don't have a jealousy, something is wrong with you. Right? Only God is qualified to be jealous because God loves us. To me, God's jealousy means it's a total commitment and a covenantal faithfulness to me. I'm kind of amazed that who am I? That God is jealous for me. I'm a promiscuous sinner. I'm unfaithful, impure followers. Why does he love me so much? Do you know someone who is infatuated or someone who has so-called one-sided love? I think God is the one who has the greatest one-sided love. Now let me move quickly to the third and final fundamental law of freedom. That is a deadly serious Freedom has a moral enemy, which is a false god and idols. That's that's why, you know, we need to combat the false gods and idols to enjoy God's freedom. And here God gave Israelite warning and promise here. Look at verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for sins of parents, to third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousand generations, or those who love me and keep my commandment. The warning is that children will be punished for the sins of uh, their parents. Many people, many especially modern people, look at this warning, unfair, even unreasonable. But we need to look at it holistically or even sociologically. You know, oftentimes a father's sin, mother's sin, lasts several generations, the consequences. If a mother is a drug addict, and then pregnant, child. And maybe child's child is to suffer that consequence. Also, children, they imitate their parents. This is how sin tends to run in the family. It's very important truth that one generation always sets a spiritual tone for the next generation. So this is a call for the parents. Parents, how we really follow Christ will set the spiritual tone for our children, far more than Sunday school teachers or even Christian prep schools. Forget about it. Don't assign, you know, we are the one who set the spiritual tone and discipleship for our children. While the warning is a deadly serious, the promise is more powerful then warning, because it's a blessing, lasts not just a three or four generations. God says for a thousand generations. Why? We can, we can see here how much God wants to bless us rather than punish us. God wants us to have a true, meaningful, fruitful freedom. Now, once again, to have a God's blessing of a true freedom, we must combat the false gods and idols. You know, reformer John Calvin that the human heart is a perpetual factory of our idols. You know? We constantly find uh, attractive idols, false gods in our life, and then seduce to those things. So in case of Israel in Exodus, this uh, Calvin's diagnosis of a human heart can be truer. Because while Moses was receiving God's law of liberty on top of uh, Mount Sinai for 40 days, Guess what? Israelites become a very impatient and restless, and then they would, you know. When you have not committed yourself to God, you don't just stop believing in God, but you start shopping for other gods, or your own kind. So, if you look at the Exodus chapter thirty-one, one, when people saw Moses was long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around the Aaron, Moses' younger brother, older brother, and said, "Come and make us gods. Who will go before us?" As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened. So they asked for God replacement, and the backbonless, you know, leader Aaron made him golden calf. By the way, the Israel's love affair with the golden calf lasted several hundred years more. If you look at the Second Kings chapter ten, Jehu destroyed the Baal worshiping Israel, verse twenty nine. However, it did not turn away from sins of a Jeroboam son of a Nebat, who had caused Israel to commit the worship of a golden calf at Bethel and Don. Now, what's so special about golden calf? The reason I talk about golden calf is, here we see some truth about our idol worship. Why did Israel like the golden calf so much? Golden calf was a familiar idol since their Egyptian days. It was also idol of a wealthy neighborhood, neighbors in federal Egypt. Don't you like what rich people like? You know, very, you know. And also, unlike you know God of Israel, Yahweh, who is a very mysterious, who you cannot put any you know physical boundary on him, golden calf is something that you see. You can decorate. You can even uh, make a different size of it. You can even carry them. You can make a portable golden calf. Or you can make a gigantic golden calf. And then worse, you can use them anything that you like. So in Israel's case, they actually practiced, celebrated sexual orgies in the name of honoring golden calf in its fertility. So best thing about the idols, is that it gives all the permissions that you want and no demands. That's what an idol is. You know? It just, we just make the idols in our own desires and wishes and just take away all the, you know, all the obligations. Now, as a diverse and unique we are, I don't think there is a golden calf in anyone's, you know, closet. But, Instead of golden calf, what do we have? We have a golden child. Do you have a golden child? The child that makes you so proud and hopeful that your future looks so promising with a child. You know, we have uh, Tesla stocks. We have uh, bitcoins. You know, some of us have uh, academic pedigrees. Some of us. Like me, have a golden spouse. You know, her pension is my, you know, golden parachute. We, anytime I do premarital counseling, I have one goal. That is, you are not marrying a Christ. You are marrying a sinner. He or she will not save you. Do you know that? You know, that is the focus of, one of the key focus of, you know, premarital counseling. I want to say this. Nothing wrong about having golden child, bitcoins, stock, you know, whatever, you know, Tesla stocks and all this. That's, you know, that's okay. That's a blessing and gift from God. Don't ask them to save you. That's my point. Don't ask these things to or these people to be your security or give you an identity. Don't ask them to make you proud. Don't ask them to increase your joy. All that belongs to God and God alone who loves us faithfully, freely, and forever. And if you ask those things to God, God is more than happy to answer your prayers. Amen? Del Moody said, before we pray to God, will fill us. I believe we ought to pray God to empty us. I think that's so true. You know, reason that you don't are, we don't receive enough blessings of God because our hands is full. Our, we have a closed hand. We are holding on to whatever our own plans and dreams. When we open our hands and ask God, Lord, my hand is open. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. You will have a true freedom of God. So dear brothers and sisters, let us use our freedom for glory of God. Our freedom came from free God. Out of his free love, we are here today to worship. Let us use our freedom to love one another and serve God together. Let's pray. So we have now uh, a joy and uh, honor to hear the testimony of each one of uh, our brothers and sisters who was baptized. So testimony is not about the public speech or we are grading our one, you know, whatever. This is uh, the best important thing, most important thing about testimony is about honesty and sincerity. Having said that, let's welcome Hugh you, who wants to share testimony first?
1: Um, well, I have done my testimony about a couple months ago. Now it is time to do my baptism. Uh, during the baptism class, I learned about the meaning of baptism and the mandate of baptism. Uh, We know that only the sinner needs to be baptized. But Jesus asked John to baptize him. Jesus, a perfect man. Jesus did not need to be baptized. For Jesus to be baptized by John was to identify himself as a sinner like us. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of water. The Trinity showed up. Jesus shows us a full fear of our righteousness. Today, I am here to identify myself as a Christian. I will truly trust God and obey Him for the rest of my life. Thank you. Amen. Amen.
0: We're going to alter it to brother and sister because I feel like that's the fair thing to do. So... Uh, Deanna, take your time.
2: All right, sorry, mine's a little longer. <laughs> okay, okay, well, everybody, I'm Deanna. So uh, my testimony, um, at a young age, I had to grow up pretty fast, um, learn to adapt and be independent at a young age. Um, being one of the oldest children, especially of immigrants, there are high expectations, right? Um, family circumstances were also unstable, and religion was not on the forefront of my childhood. Oh my God. <laughs> and I grew up almost resenting and not caring for God. Despite that, there was always a baseline of unconditional love and care by family and friends. I didn't have a much a huge need for God. Then later, I started off to college um, at Texas a whoop! Um, I was um, starting off pre-med, of course. Um, had my fair share of fun distractions um, and decided to switch careers and um, do something else. And so I found a job um, my last semester of college in 2016. That's when I started working at a doctor's office in College Station with Dr. Robinson and Dr. Johnson, a husband and wife duo. Within a few weeks of working there, they adamantly encouraged me to pursue medical school, to which I would always be like, no, 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 it's okay, like, I'm not gonna do medical school. And But um, their persistent belief in me um, changed my mind and was, I decided to pursue medical school. Little did I know this would be the start of them changing my life. Um, these doctors were both very strong Christians um, who had the whole office saying grace before lunch together. Dr. Johnson was my person. She was an OBGYN, and I was her right hand woman. I was in the patient room with her, um, assisting her, being her um, scribe and everything. And it was my first time witnessing a doctor praying for a patient and saw how powerful prayer could be. She took me in and made me feel like her daughter countless late nights of working on my medical school application eating and drinking together I would often say how lucky I was to be there but she would immediately say no bless you are blessed not lucky for two years I worked for this couple and I got to see their relationship with God and how they poured into me I got into medical school off the wait list thank you Jesus in 2018 um And at their celebration dinner for me was when they asked for the very first time my thoughts on Christianity. Um, I told them that I didn't grow up religious nor um, was I into religion, but ever since working with them, it really had opened my eyes and to learning more about it. I just didn't know where to begin. They emphasized that what was important was a relationship with God and not the religion aspect um, and the culture, and that it was a lot simpler than I had thought. Um, I started medical school later that fall, and uh, that fall in 2018, and met Michelle Wan. She's here today. Um, so my spiritual thirst had just begun, and she was the perfect person that God placed in my life. I invited myself um, to church with her, um, per her recollection. Um, I told her to help take me to church the next time she goes. Um, and she was the one who answered um, all my questions. We started our own Bible study every week and she kept me accountable and my spiritual journey would not have continued without her. Um, fast forward to now, I started attending Forest here in Dallas um, when I moved back to Dallas and God continues to provide. Um, my biggest weakness and insecurity was my knowledge of the gospel. I didn't read the Bible at all growing up so I was very uh, new, and, but shout outs to um, Good Shepherd College. Um, pastor paul's church um, bible study curriculum that he made so it was perfect for me as i was trying to learn more um, so in conclusion um being becoming a believer in jesus christ has been amazing um i feel like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders i don't have to bear all the responsibilities and pressure on my own these past few years it has been gut-wrenching tear-jerking and heartbreaking and filling to realize god's work and the people he has placed in my life um from my childhood upbringing, my family and friends who are here today, um, to meeting Dr. Johnson um, and Michelle, God's love has been apparent and firm, and I hope to continue living to glorify Him. Thank you.
0: I remember uh, Michelle Juan three years ago, when uh, in the middle of the first year in Mass School, she, she, she shared her prayer request her BIP, Diana, and uh, since then we've been praying together. And uh, so, uh, Michelle, even though she's doing a rotation and then doing a last year medical school, you know, interview uh, re- for residency program in Bay Area, but she flew just now to, you know, witness and celebrate and then pray. So just, you know, right before the baptism, she said, Pastor Paul, I'm stuck in the airport. I don't, I'm not sure whether I can make it to the prayer. but by grace of God. That, uh, so Michelle, where are you? So woo. thank you, thank God. And thank you, Deanna, for the real uh, uh, testimony, she, you know, real wonderful, transparent testimony. Good to hear that you are the way, off the wait way list, and that God kind of continued to guide you. Did you know Diana wants to go to that uh, same specialty that Dr. Johnson, I mean, that she mentioned. So, so, you know, love and then true testimony, it reproduces. is that wonderful? All right. Josh uh, Yang, I'm sorry. Andrew Yang. Alex Yang, I'm sorry. Alex Yang. Sorry. Alex, you can take off your mask if you want.
3: Hey. Hi everyone. My name is can I pull this out? Okay. <laughs> uh, hi everyone. My name is Alex. Uh, mine is also a bit longer but I'll go through it as fast as I can. So, uh, I didn't accept Christ until this year. Although I was baptized as an infant and occasionally went to church with my parents, my faith was never there. I never truly believed. I was simply going through the motions, never really understanding what the phrases Jesus loves me and Jesus died for my sins meant. I didn't know whether God really existed or not, and didn't really care, to be honest. When I started college at Rice, God was the last thing on my mind. I knew there were college ministries, but I never bothered to visit any of those organizations, and I simply had no interest in in living a religious life. Instead of surrounding myself with Christian friends in college to help grow my faith, I found myself in the opposite situation. At the start of my freshman year, I found myself surrounded by people who wanted to hook up with girls, try different kinds of drugs, and drink excessively. Mm. Despite this environment, I was blessed to still meet a few Christian friends who played significant roles both directly and directly in my spiritual journey. During my senior year of college, I reached what I considered to be an all-time low in my life up to that point. I didn't have a job despite a long and stressful recruiting cycle, and I had no idea what I was going to do after graduation. I was lost and confused and started to feel a sense of empty, emptiness and loneliness, often questioning the meaning of life and what true happiness is. I began to feel like something wasn't right with the way I was living my life. And looking back, I consider this the first time God began to turn my life around. Hmm. One day, I met with one of my friends, and I told her everything I was feeling, the depression, emptiness, loneliness, and how I was questioning the meaning of life. Midway through our conversation, she looked at me seriously and said, I think you need Jesus. Now, I had heard these words before countless times from other people growing up, but for the first time, they finally resonated in a way unlike before. After hearing these words, I went through a period of months thinking about God and Christianity. I read parts of the Bible, I watched online sermons and theology videos, and I just could not stop thinking about the concept of God and wrestling with questions about Christianity. Mm. It was almost like my mind wanted to get closer to God, but my heart still lacked conviction. One day, the same friend who spoke those life-changing words to me told me that she wanted to share something personal with me. She told me that in college, she would often pray with her small group asking that God would work in my heart and had been doing so for a year. Mm. She told me it was encouraging to see the fruits of her prayers as I continued to think and ask questions about Christianity daily. This was an eye-opening moment for me as I finally realized that God had in fact been working in my life all this time. My entire spiritual journey was the answer to everyone's prayers. Mm. I finally began to feel the conviction that I had been searching for. I both knew and felt that God existed and that he had brought me back to him through the friends that he had blessed me with. Mm. I seriously prayed to God for the first time, thanking him for putting the people in my life to bring me back to him, working in my heart through the Holy Spirit and blessing me with all that I have. I am eternally grateful for what God has done, and he has continued to bless me by giving me a wonderful house church family here at Forest to help me grow in his presence and to pray for me daily.
0: Amen. Yeah, we pray there are more people like Alex who will thank, you know, play God, but thank God for placing us in their lives. Amen. Okay. Julie. Julie Choi.
2: Hello.
4: Um. Okay. So, before standing here today to get baptized, I actually had a lot of doubts on whether or not I should be baptized. Um, When I thought back to my life, I had become very, like, aware of my sins and felt that I wasn't a good Christian enough to be baptized. I filled my desires with worldly things, depended on everything except for God, had bitter feelings towards people and hatred towards people, and basically worshiped myself and my well-being. And me being a very black and white person, it didn't make sense to me that I could be a Christian and a sinner at the same time. Mm. So when I felt Christian enough, I pushed away sin in my life and I served and I didn't I tried not to participate in um, sinful behaviors because I thought that was the Christian thing to do. And um, doing Christian things made me feel better about myself. And when I felt like a sinner, I pushed away God in my life because every inch of me screamed uh, hypocrite. Um, so I built my faith on traditions, religion, and culture of the church rather than my own intimate um relationship with God, and I don't specifically remember a one time when I was like, oh, I'm saved, and that made me think a lot, like, am I even saved if I don't have that kind of a testimony, um, but I believe that everyone's story is different, and God does um, sanctify you over the time, and um, so my relationship with God actually started when I experienced a death of a loved one uh, my freshman year of high school. Um, after that happened, God spoke so loudly in my life in my depression and my darkness, and He really chased after my heart even after I was running, even though I was running away from Him. Uh, I found myself depending on guys to fill my emptiness, only to find that emptiness kept growing bigger. Um, Growing up without a father, I never knew what it felt like to have a loving father who cares for me and loves me unconditionally, but God showed me what love was. He took care of me in moments when I didn't even know I needed to be taken care of. Um, He loved me and chased after me even after I showed my imperfections and would deliberately sin against him. And he became my friend and my savior in my darkest moments, and he softened my heart toward God and his people. Um, I really thought about the question of what is baptism, and I, after talking to my house church members and my friends, I realized that um, baptism is like a wedding where I'm opening up myself up to God to commit to me, and and I'm committing to God in front of my community. Um, I don't know much about marriage, but I do know that married couples fight a lot, and You know, just because I get married to God doesn't mean that I'm not going to fight with him and I'm not going to sin against him. Um, Yeah. And I realized that the whole gospel about Jesus becoming, is Jesus becoming sin for us so that we don't have to separate the Christian and the sin into two. So we can be sinners and still be in God's presence. In fact, we can't understand grace, love, and the gospel without the sin. And I've experienced God very intimately in many moments of my life, and I believe that He is my Savior, and I want to publicly acknowledge my commitment to Him and His commitment to me.
0: That's Amen. It. <laughs> Julie said a very important thing. Even after you are baptized, even after you receive Christ, you are still a sinner. But we are forgiven sinner and seen of fighting for sanctification and obedience. So we struggle, but we struggle with the faith and hope. Now we have our last brother, Joshua Kim, who's been with us for a long time.
5: Uh, Hello, um, I'm Joshua Kim, and uh, testimony. Uh, growing up in the church, I've always known about how God is our father and how he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Uh, despite this, it wasn't until these past few years that I felt my own personal relationship with him begin to grow as I experienced him for my, myself. I've had many highs and lows over the past few years. However, I felt him leading me throughout it all and working in my life. He's introduced me to many great people at UT Dallas as well as here at Forest, and I feel like he's continuing to guide me and help me grow as a person as well as a Christian. I'd like to thank my family and uh, my house church for encouraging me to grow my relationship with him and continue to follow his, his way.
0: Amen. <laughs> We are so excited that uh, finally in our church, we have some college students, especially local college students, such a good school as UT Dallas. And so we pray that UT Dallas, you know, tribe grows, you know, bigger and bigger. Now the last is uh, Hejin Lee, Hejin Ashley Lee.
6: I just want to say thank you to Pastor Paul for letting me get baptized because I didn't attend the class. I watched a recording, (laughs) so thank you. (laughs) Okay, Um, so I got baptized when I was 13 um, out of obligation because my mom asked me to do so, so um, yeah. So when I was reflecting on how I first came to faith, there were so many traumatic moments and scenarios that came up in my mind. Um, Sorry. I thought a lot about my mom and dad's alcohol problems, my dad um, beating my mother, my dad's method of disciplining me, my mother almost committing suicide in front of me and always feeling alone and like the pain um, would never cease. All these scenarios instantly flooded my mind. However, if I mentioned Each story and the depth of the pain I felt, I feel that this testimony would credit me as a strong person rather than God being the mighty and loving God he is in my life. So um, I'll try to make this all about him and not about me. So growing up, fatherly love was very foreign to me. I had and have a very broken relationship with my dad Due to his abuse, racism, and neglect, he had always, he had towards my mother and I. Um, my dad was always the person I feared the most, and this transferred in how I viewed um, God. God was someone who punished people who did wrong, just as my dad would discipline my mother and siblings when we would do something wrong. It was very hard, and every summer of high school, I would go back and Forth and reflect on if life was worth and if there would be a day where I would see purpose in this world or could do something correctly. Senior year of high school, um, it was an all-time low for me. Um, I really contemplated if life was worth living and went back and forth with if I wanted to see another day or if I felt that my time on this earth was up. Every day felt very long, and my family life didn't help. I served as a children's ministry teacher and on the praise team, but those were just charitable deeds I did to make myself feel better about this world. Life was still not purposeful, and there was definitely a void. Um, That year, I remembered asking... (laughs) Julie back there if she wanted to skip school and go shopping (laughs) and she responded saying she didn't want to lie to her mother anymore this moment was so shocking because it was a routine for both of us to lie to our parents (laughs) she mentioned that life was different and she didn't want to hurt her mom I remember this left me wondering for a few weeks how she changed so quickly I had a long conversation right before I turned 18 with my youth group pastor one night, who understood my heart well on who Jesus was. She told me about his life, his death, and resurrection um, to give us purpose. I asked her on how I could connect with him, and she told me to just pray. That night, I went on my knees and just prayed that I would be able to connect with Jesus, and that night as i was praying and asking god to reveal himself to me i remember seeing this very bright image and a voice saying you don't have to die because i already did i remember that voice and being in tears that someone was telling me that my life has ultimate purpose and it is worth something i felt very validated and seen the world looked differently from that day forward And God spoke so clearly to me that I thought I could never doubt his presence and existence. Last year, I struggled a lot with faith due to all the pain coming back from losing a job title, losing a relationship, living with my parents again, and moving back to Dallas and reliving a lot of the traumatic moments I went through. Um, It was a time period where I knew God existed but didn't want to walk with him whatsoever. Um, Julie, Jane, Rebecca, Lydia, Tommy, and Alicia were the six people that reflected Christ and kept me grounded to allow this moment right now for me to recommit my life to him. I would not be here with stronger faith, clearer purpose, and a renewed heart if it wasn't for how God spoke and used these people to show me love in a dark time. I thank Christ for these people, and I thank all the parents at Forest for giving me a renewed view of parental love and God's love as well. The way you love your children inspires me. Finally, my relationship with my family is still a work in progress, and God is working in a pace that I believe is best. They're not here today, but my prayer is that one day I would be able to attend their baptisms. Thank Amen. you. Amen.
0: Thank you, Hejin, for for such a you know honest uh, tr- and also trust uh, sharing and, and trust. Uh, other than the uh, well, I'm actually glad that I am not the only one like my mother. So it's, you know, wonderful. Once again. Let's give all the glory and honor and praise to God for our brothers and sisters, their commitment to Christ today. You may return to your seat. And also, children, you may follow your teachers to Sunday school and hope to see you in Baptistries one of these days.